We just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. Yeah, we try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Where to begin? God. Don't you say that in sessions a lot? There's so much. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. Is what I say. Yeah. I've I've heard that that's the uh the clinical equivalent of a yikes. Yes. Yikes. I I've said yikes to clients <laughs> before though. <laughs> Don't know if they appreciate that. That can't be good to be the client <laughs> and to hear the therapist say yikes. Okay. So okay. there's a lot. Yeah. So where do we begin, Anna? Where? Where do we begin? Well, we should begin by saying, hello, welcome to Freudian Sips. This is our podcast. We're doing a podcast. And I don't even really know what a podcast <laughs> is. So uh, I'm, To clarify, I'm, mom has never listened to a podcast in her life. No. I was going to listen to some to prepare me, but then I didn't want to, you know, have that kind of hanging over my head. Are you going to listen to this one? Well, Yeah. <laughs> This is first and last podcast. This one. This, this will be the only podcast. one that I listen to. My own, my own podcast. Should we introduce ourselves? Okay. Do you know, do you, you go first. Oh, sh- okay. So I'll know how to do it. Uh, okay. Uh, hello. Hello. I'm Anna. I, I'm, I'm your co-host. She's so cute. She's so she cute. has to say that because she's my mom. Oh, spoiler alert. I don't really know. I'm I'm a clinical counselor. The reason we're doing this podcast is because we are both clinical counselors. We don't yet have our clinical licenses, but we are mental health counselors in the field. And we um, are really interested in all the psychology stuff and the history of it. I personally also like art. That's one of my things that I do. So I often art, work art into my therapy. Um, I like nerdy shit. <laughs> like D and I don't. Is that a technical term? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's in all the textbooks. I, I don't know because I feel like all of our introductions are about like us, mm-hmm. so it's hard to just talk about me. So mm-hmm. who are you? Who are you? Who I'm are your you? mom. Oh, hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> and before you ask, yes, we must be enmeshed because we do a lot of things together. Does anyone know what that means? I don't know. <laughs> Should we clarify that? Should we explain that? that? Is that part of, of the whole idea? So it is kind of part of the whole idea that we think this stuff is so cool that we would we think that other people might think it's cool, mm-hmm. some of this stuff. So that's one of the reasons that we decided to share. Anna and I went to um, get our master's degrees together because I had gotten my um, degree in psychology many years ago, many, many years ago. Anna just recently got one of her degrees she's multi-talented in psychology so when she decided to get her master's degree to become a counselor it's something that I had thought about a lot of times but just kind of went in different directions instead so it has been a blast and I could not have done it without her I was just gonna say we could not have gotten through the schooling experience without if 
if you listening are thinking of going into grad school for counseling or anything else, have a buddy. Oh, that's do a it, great do idea. Do it with a buddy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just so you have people to talk about it with after class and be like, can you believe? It doesn't have to be your mom because that's kind of unusual I for guess. your buddy to be your mom. Yeah, but we got, we got razzed a lot in school <laughs> that we should not have been taking classes with our mother slash daughter. Yeah, but. we got So that's where that enmeshed term comes from. Enmeshed in psychology means we uh, we are too reliant on each other. Too connected. Too close. Yeah. But so screw it. Yeah, screw those people. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have a podcast, so suck it, haters. <laughs> <laughs> so back to where we begin. We began by introducing ourselves. Okay, so that's done. Check. Great. Check. Wow, we're so good at this. I like lists. <laughs> uh, okay, so maybe we should introduce the episode. Yes, please. Okay. Uh, our first episode of Freudian Sips da, da, da. Is, is going to be about what else? Sigmund Freud himself. Woo-hoo. The man, the myth, the legend, the weird sex man. <laughs> uh, so I think the best place to start is just to kind of go over Freud's history. Just his life and how he kind of got to be the, the mythical figure that he is in the field of psychology. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you can't. If, if someone doesn't know anything else about psychology, they've heard of Freud. Right. And they actually probably have heard about a lot of his ideas. He's inescapable. So starting at the very beginning, he was born Sigismund Shlomo Freud. <laughs> Did you have to practice that? I didn't. You can tell I didn't. Don't lie to me. That was awful. I <laughs> There's too many consonants in the first of it. <laughs> and is Shlomo a real name? Yeah, because that sounds like a cartoon character. It sounds like a. It, it's it's. I don't a mean Jewish to be disrespectful. Name. Oh, then I really am being disrespectful. Yes, Sorry, yes. I didn't mean to do that. Um, I just didn't know that was actually a real name. How do yeah. you spell that? S C H L O M O. Wow, Shlomo. Shlomo. It does. I think. I mean, I think the only time I've ever heard it has been like as a as a joke about Mm -hmm. Jewish people. So Mm -hmm. I think there is some, some racism. Some bad stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, But that is his, his given middle name. And and I mean, his first name is not Sigmund. He shortened it from Sigismund. Um, I understand why. I I know. Too many consonants, right? It's poor teachers. (laughs) Teachers who have to take role and have names like that. I can relate to that. Oh, you know, they mispronounced his last name. Freud. (laughs) Freud. Freud. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can tell she's been a teacher her whole life. <laughs> Teachers are just one rank above like Starbucks baristas in mispronouncing <laughs> names. <laughs> That's really true. Sorry about that. <laughs> they All just do former it to piss students, you off. I apologize. They just do it to make you mad. <laughs> uh, he was born on May 6th of 1856, although one of the sources said March 6th that I was reading. Huh. No one, no one knows. You can't believe you everything can't. you read on the internet. <laughs> no. I read this March 6th one in a book. Oh my gosh. A textbook. Oh, well that one's probably right. It's probably wrong, actually. <laughs> $300 can't be right about a date. But isn't that amazing? I mean, that's a long time ago that this man, yes it is. 150 years? That's a long time. I mean, like 
light. It would be it would be it's a long weird time that I think still it's, alive. It's weird that I think it's a long time and you don't because you're the young one. The usually. Earth is millions and billions <laughs> of years old. <laughs> okay, moving in the span of the universe. He's that's, very small. That's true. He's very young in the span of the I've universe. I've only had a half a glass of wine. I'm already getting existential. <laughs> okay, tell us more. Tell us more, Anna. Ooh, tell us more about the history. He, he was born to Jewish parents, which explains the middle name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the first of eight kids. He was a nerd. Poor, poor Sigismund. Poor, if, as he if, had that as name. As if the word Sigismund, the name Sigismund was not enough. He had to be a nerd. Yeah. Uh, he started reading Shakespeare when he was eight. He entered what uh, the aforementioned textbook called high school at age nine. That is crazy early for our high school, what we think of as high school. But, oh, it, it said a year earlier than normal. Nine years old was a year earlier than normal. So They I guess just don't call the same thing we call. They just call. Think, have weird names for things. Okay. It's fine. He graduated with honors, though. I don't know how long The bottom line him. is he was advanced he academically. He was very smart. Okay. Very smart. Got yeah, it. like, I mean, he, he read all the time. He was a master of eight languages. He was proficient in Greek, Latin, Hebrew, German, French, Italian, Spanish, and English. Wow. Proficient. Proficient. That's amazing. Profi- not just like, hey, where's the bathroom? Like, donde esta el baño? Like, no. Like, he was proficient in all these languages. So he went into university at age 17. This is where things start to get rough (laughs) for Sigmund Freud. I don't know when he started calling himself Sigmund. I don't know when that got shortened. Hmm. I didn't find that in my research. Probably college. Yeah, someone tweet me the answer. Too (laughs) lazy to look it up. Yeah, do that. Do that. Tweet me. Don't tweet mom. She doesn't. <laughs> yeah, she do that to Anna because I don't tweet. She doesn't tweet. <laughs> she, if I someone, talk like a normal person. If someone held a gun to her head and said, figure out how to use Twitter, she would she I would, would die. go to you and she you would, would die. No, I would say, just give me a minute. I'll go ask <laughs> give Anna. Give me a minute. Let me call my daughter. And then you would help me and then I would not die. So it's okay. Okay. I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, nobody, let's not nobody do, do that. that to my mom. <laughs> so he was originally interested in law. That's what he wanted to go to university for. Uh, but he got into medicine uh, because of... My husband told me that this word is pronounced Goethe. <laughs> it's spelled G-O-E-T-H-E. Hmm. His essay on nature. He has a very famous essay on nature. And Darwin's theory of evolution. Those things made him want to go into medicine. Hmm. Um, I read a thing that said that he did a whole bunch of research on eels once. Did you read that? Yeah. Trying yeah. to find the sexual organs of eels. That sounds like him. (laughs) (laughs) That tracks. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Like he was in zoology for a while, but of all the things he could have done, he was looking for sex organs. He started young. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, those weird slimy things, how do they sex? (laughs) How do do they have sex, He kind of had one track. Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't mean to disturb your... uh, You were really on task there. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah, Did I have a look in my eyes? You were in the zone. Yes. Sorry, and I, I didn't interrupted. Know where I was. Um, oh, okay. Because this is where we kind of start to the the dark underbelly of his backstory kind of starts to become apparent here. Mm-hmm. The reason he was interested in law in the first place was because Jewish people at the time in Vienna could only go into law or medicine. 
So, I mean, thanks, anti-Semitism. All you people that bitch about Freud, thank anti-Semitism. Because maybe he could have just gone into something else. Maybe he could have raised plants or something. But no, you could only go into law or medicine when you were Jewish. So, part of this is racism. So it took him eight years to finish university um, because he kept getting distracted. <laughs> Much like you and I will keep getting distracted in this endeavor. Like with the eels. Like with the eels. <laughs> He was on he track, just, and then he, he took discovered a break eels doing studying for a test, and then he's like, "How do eels do the sex? How does that happen?" So he went into that. No, he like translated a book for fun at one point. I mean, he was, and part of that was just because he was so smart. His mind was just in a lot of different places. I was um, going to say that because smart people do get distracted a lot. Yeah. I mean, really intelligent people get distracted a lot because yeah, their cause brains they want, are they want to do a lot yeah. of things. So that makes sense. He's a smart guy. Get you some more wine. You Uh, you keep talking. I'll get you some wine. Okay. Okay. It's going to be weird not to riff off of you, though. Got his medical license in 1881. Um, His primary focus was on physiological research because, I mean, like, medicine was his his focus. But, oh, ooh. Hear that? Ooh, that's a... (laughs) It's a, a good, fine, good recording sound. A fine, a fine cab, a fine oh, a cab. three dollar Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, my my mother is now pouring her three dollar white Zinfandel. Um, if you would like to help us get better wine, you can support us on Patreon. <laughs> or you can you can support us on Patreon, and I'll continue buying three dollar <laughs> bottles of wine and put the rest away for future <laughs> college funds. Yeah, yeah, it start a little nest egg with my wine money. <laughs> so his primary focus was on physiological research, but because he was Jewish, he was struggling to find jobs, even in this thing that he he really wanted to focus on. I, I believe that's where the eel thing came in because it was like an internship or uh, a research study yeah. or something. During this time was when he also met, uh, oh, this is going to be rough for both of us, Jean-Martin Charcot and Joseph Brewer, who I'm just going to be calling Charcot and Brewer from now on because I'm not going to do that to I would anyone. call them John and Joseph. John okay. and Joseph. John and Joey. Mm-hmm. No, that's not how they're in my notes. That's going to confuse me. Okay. So this, this, was, uh, this was also when he started Cocaine, mm-hmm. um, what is called The Cocaine Episode, so he got into this because he had been hearing that it was being used successfully in the military. I use successfully. There's five sets of quotes around that in my notes. <laughs> but the reason he was originally dissuaded from doing this was because he learned that one gram of cocaine cost $1.27 instead of the 13 cents he had anticipated. <laughs> I don't even know where to start with We're that. We're going to, yeah, a lot to unpack. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna do some riff about that for a second. I need to look something up on how much cocaine costs. Yeah. I personally do not know how much cocaine costs. Well, that's... However, I do believe it's probably more than thirteen cents and 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 more than even a dollar something. Uh, well, this is eighteen eighty one money. Oh, believe it or not, eighteen eighty one was before my time, so I cannot compare. <laughs> like how long? To... Like how long? <laughs> Triangulate it. <laughs> And I'm not a mathematician. Oh my, I'm showing all my weaknesses. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know, but. Um, uh, what cost $1.27 in 1881 would cost $32.75 in 2017. Mm. I, I, again, mm. 
this was a useless thing to look up because I was going to say no. Either one of I was like, if I'm, I'm, so I'm looking at you very carefully, oh, like, no. are you going to know, you know had how this much? Really, like, okay, okay and is this, you, is this and a time when I'm learning are something you now going about to my tell daughter? Me how much cocaine is per gram? I don't know. I could Google it. Someone I don't listening get would probably know that. Don't tweet don't us. Don't tell us. Don't I don't want to know. No. <laughs> don't add us cocaine costs, no. please. No. But so is that really the reason that he pulled back was the cost? Originally. But this dude wanted cocaine real bad. He continued so to use it. He, yeah, like, he saved up. Mm-hmm. He saved up to buy to buy the cocaine. It was a priority for him. So yeah. he, he put it on his budget. <laughs> Prior, it was on his vision board. <laughs> he made a vision board and it was all cocaine. <laughs> Once he eventually coughed up the cash, he saw that it did affect him very positively when he took it. He said taking it relieved his depression, it helped his indigestion, it helped him work. It appeared to have no negative side effects, mm-hmm. which is bonkers. Yeah, so let's do a disclaimer here. Do not take this as don't, an endorsement for using cocaine to get do rid of cocaine. your depression. Don't. And if you are, please get help. Oh my God. Don't do cocaine no matter how much it costs. Right. Don't. Even if you could get it on sale. If you get a, a BOGO on cocaine, don't, <laughs> don't take do it. Don't do it. Still don't do it. Not not a wise choice. A, we want to make wise choices in our life. Cocaine. Yes. But so, he felt that it helped him. Oh, yeah. So he, he, was, he was invested in this. Okay. He was. Like, not only was like, ooh, this is really good. He, like, thought it was relieving his, his psychological symptoms. Mm-hmm. He was so jazzed about it that he sent it to his friends. He sent it to his family. He sent it to his colleagues. He sent it to his fiance, uh, quote, to make her strong and give her cheeks a red color. Um, <laughs> he just thought she was pale. That was attractive, apparently, <laughs> to have like, rosy cheeks. You know, was blush not invented? No, that's when they used to pinch their cheeks to get blush. You know, you know those. You pinch You've your cheeks. You've done that in my in my childhood. I know you remember me. <laughs> you didn't think that's much. how old I really instead am. Of, <laughs> instead of giving me cocaine, you would just pinch my cheeks until they hurt, which is marginally better than giving me cocaine. <laughs> it's. I don't think I ever pinched your cheeks. Yes, I pinched your cheeks. I mean. Not like, like to give you blush? Not like in practice, but you told me what it was. Oh, like you, to show you what yeah. it was. Yeah. Instructed you how to look. Yeah, because it's supposed to be attractive or something. I don't know. To have a little. Well, you put blush on in the morning, right? Well, you might not. I, I don't, don't know. Okay. <laughs> I do. Jesus, I roll out of bed 30 <laughs> seconds before I'm supposed to be at work. He actually started giving it to his patients. He started giving cocaine to his patients. Um, but we, we, we would should add that cocaine was perfectly legal in that day. It was. I looked it up. <laughs> Don't I look was, at me like, oh, I, crap. I did have a look on my face. Okay. She's, she's not just being aggressive for no reason. There. I had a squinty eye. Okay. It was, it was, it, no, it was, and, it was and legal. Yes, we, we did not know the, the negative side right, effects. Right, right, right. That those had not been. Like many other things that yeah. became illegal eventually. I mean, yeah, there, there yeah. was a time in our history when doctors would prescribe cigarettes for, for medical mm-hmm. treatment. So like we have definitely gone through some, some crazy like medical treatment. Well, I mean, periods. right now, look at marijuana. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm Shall looking, we look at marijuana? I'm looking at it. I mean, we, the baggie that you're well, holding. <laughs> My mom is take, not holding a bag. Take my stash. Cream. No, no. No. The point is, it's been so illegal 
you know, for right. so long. And now it's like, you know, yeah, state after state are legalizing. Like, so we're going constantly evolving. Right. We're going one way and the other. Yeah. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. It just came <laughs> it into does. my mind. It's tangentially related. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that, no, that's a good point. He went the opposite way of trying to learn if there were right. negative side effects. Mm-hmm. So he would give it to his patients. He saw improvements in them. The improvements he saw in his patients made him feel like a physician for the first time. Mm. Which to me is the saddest thing. But I don't want to get too into that because I, I will talk about it a little later. He wrote six articles about the benefits of cocaine. And here's where it also gets sad. A colleague of his, Carl Coller, wrote an article about the use of cocaine as anesthesia for eye surgeries. I- <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's bad, but it would be worse if you were awake, which you were before cocaine. Okay. So so this was to practice eye surgeries while anesthetizing the patient. Collar got it from Freud. Like, he learned the um, anesthetizing effects of cocaine from Freud, but Collar was the one who wrote the article. And Freud was bummed. He was bummed because he wanted to have the prestige of having a major scientific discovery. So I'm hearing that Freud had some issues with that he never felt like people really realized how smart he was or he oh, always felt yeah. like he's got Girl, issues, he right? he had a major inferiority yeah. complex. In for- uh, yeah, that's what I was just hey! going to say. It's like went to the same grad school. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was. And, and that's a good point that I hadn't considered because he was so smart. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it doesn't really have anything to do with how smart you actually are, but if you have an idea in your head that you're really, really smart, that you're the smartest guy in the room, you want mm-hmm. other people to know. Right. And I think that's where it was coming from, that he wanted other people to recognize his genius. Right. I agree. And he had issues about that. So. Yeah. 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 Okay. Lots of them. So, I mean, you had a good point before that it was legal, but eventually people did turn on cocaine. Yes. Freud got got because he was not letting go of the benefits of the the perceived benefits of it. Mm-hmm. I like that you said the perceived benefits because he was high as he was seeing the benefits, right? Yeah. So it's like when you're stoned. But he or, was also seeing them in his patients. Right. But was he high while he was seeing them in his Jeez, patients? Probably. So yeah. He's high all the time. So things were askew. Sure. His yeah. perception was askew because of the drugs. Yeah. Although, I don't know, the research that I looked at said he was never addicted to cocaine huh i don't i don't know what that means that's meaningless to me like what what does it mean to be addicted like does that just mean how often he took it like what does that mean yeah but uh, apparently he didn't have a problem problem with it maybe because he had to save up a whole dollar 27 before each hit i don't know (laughs) it took a while took a while (laughs) um but it did hurt his medical reputation to the point that it probably really affected people's view of his later theories like that is something that i often hear in the kind of freud discourse that's around that like oh he was just high on cocaine all the time we can't take him seriously but the the episodes did not really overlap as much as people think like he wasn't as big into cocaine later in his life as he as he was like this was kind of one of the first things that happened as early on yeah, yeah went to medical practice and a lot of the stuff that is really significant that we still do have in a lot of um that we use as the base of a lot of the things that we believe now um came later in his life yes so yes which let's go into it let's let's open it let's unpack it let's do it um there's 
there's this thing I've seen online that's like, there's a lot to unpack here, but we should just burn the whole suitcase. <laughs> and some of that applies here. It gets, it gets messy. It's hard because as I was doing this research, I was like looking at these people going, oh, these, are, these people are cool. Maybe we should do an episode on them. So I'm kind of struggling with how much to go into there. So I'm probably going to skim by a lot of these names. I'm going to drop some names. I'm not and and really save it to. for a future. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's a good idea. <laughs> we need ideas. We need ideas. <laughs> um, so Write that down. The first, and these are names that I mentioned before. So uh, Jean-Martin Charcot. He believed that hysteria, he believed hysteria was uh, psychological not from the uterus <laughs> and that it could occur in males. So the theory, the prevailing theory at the time of hysteria was that it was called like caused from problems with your lady parts mm-hmm. and that only women could get it. Right. Um, I mean, there were there were times where it was treated in doctor's offices with with manual masturbation. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there were there were definitely some misperceptions about hysteria. This w- this guy was one of the first Wait, people- I have to ask you a question. <laughs> Never mind. No, you have to ask it now. <laughs> with manual masturbation. Is it that redundant? <laughs> what? what? Machines? what? Oh, okay. So they didn't use machines. They no, only the used No, the doctor would do it. I saw a movie like that about about that. No, about that specifically. <laughs> <laughs> and then you cleared your search history, and then it was really weird. Okay, I was just I was just overwhelmed by that term. Sorry, I'm sorry. I probably I, it using might the be the wrong, wine be that took me in that direction of being very overwhelmed by that term. Am I using the wrong word? No, I think no. They would manually stimulate them. Right. It's not like they didn't the put them on a machine would, to do it. The, yes. mach- the doctor actually did would it manually for them. Manually stimulate the patient. Go on. I'm sorry. I don't know where As I am. I, where, where are you? I don't know. Uh, hysteria is where I am. Right. And, 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 I am hysteria. And that men could have it too, though. Yes. So they proved that it wasn't just a woman yeah. part thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Charcot brought into the public eye the study of hysteria. He was going at it from kind of a neurological perspective, but it was very contrary to the medical community and what the medical professionals at the time believed. The thing was, he had enough prestige to kind of stand up and say, no, this is something that we should be studying. This is something we should be looking at. Um, And people did take notice, and he kind of made it a more legitimate area of study. He was able to demonstrate that it was uh, psychological. And Freud wanted to take this further. And again, I have in my notes, he was looking for his moment. This was another one of those times that Freud really, really longed to just have this revelation that people would say, oh my gosh, look at Freud, he's such a genius. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and this, that he saw this as an area that he could do study in and and try to get some ideas and publish a paper and all that stuff. Even though he'd already published six papers about cocaine, just didn't take, I guess, I don't know. It didn't have the impact he wanted. <laughs> he's like, He wanted yeah. it to be something huge. Yes. Yeah, I agree. So, um... I kind of feel sorry for Freud right now it's in kind this of moment. What I get. And and I yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to talk more about this later when we go into more of the controversy section, but it, it is a sad story. He struggled like everyone struggles. Mm-hmm. We have him as this legendary figure in our minds and in the psychology community, but he was just a guy who 
I do believe was struggling from addiction. He was struggling with inferiority. Mm -hmm. He was a Jewish man at that time that it was very hard to be a Jewish person. I mean, he had to flee Nazism toward the end of his life. Exactly. We always talk about that everybody has something. Mm -hmm. We all have something. And and it's... It proves that point when you think about that this person that we look to as as kind of the father of psychology, so to speak, in some circles. Yeah. People talk about him like he's supposed to be infallible, but he was mm-hmm. just a dude. Yeah. He was just a dude trying to make the best of and his life. And he had stuff. He Just of like all he of had us. Stuff, yeah. He had stuff. And, and I think, I don't know if we were recording when we were saying this, he was very sexist. More of that will come into play later. But yeah, he had his flaws. And and. Doing this episode per, for me personally was a little bit of a stretch because I do know that there is such a like pervasive hatred of Freud. I've heard a lot of people say that they like took a Psych 101 course and they had to talk about Freud and that they just hated it. They hated it and they hated mm-hmm. him and they thought he was the worst and he's just had so many bad ideas. And I think that's just really reducing the issue down. I think he had a lot of good ideas, which I don't want to step on too much because that's your thing. But I just think that we can't just, that's why I wanted to do the history mm-hmm. because he had a lot. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a lot and he had a lot. So this was one of those times that he wanted to make his name. And he and his colleague, uh, Joseph y- Joseph Brewer, mm-hmm. um, so Brewer was another student of the guy that Freud studied under. Um, so they knew each other that way. And Freud credits Brewer with the development of psychoanalysis. Right. Because Freud was still focusing on medical stuff. This was shortly after he opened his medical practice. So when we talk about Brewer, we talk about someone, a name that is actually more associated with Freud, Anna O. Mm-hmm. Um, so Anna O was Brewer's patient, not Freud's. Anna O was being treated for uh, hysteria. Um, so that included things like paralysis of her arms and legs. Uh, she had nausea. She had memory loss. Uh, she had disorientation frequently. And again, this is one of those times I don't want to go. I, I I want to keep talking about her. She was a really interesting figure. But no, we could do a whole I session on her. To. Yes, I want yes. to. Yes. But she was being treated for hysteria. What they what they were diagnosing as hysteria. Brewer went at this with hypnosis. And through these hypnotic sessions, he was uncovering traumatic memories. And with that, he wanted to use this idea of uh, catharsis. Um, so, and again, I don't want to stop me if I'm tramping on your No, I love this because you're like, what you're doing now is is like the beginning of what I want to do. Okay. So it's going to like, zzz, it's going to mess come together. together. Guys, yes. it's like we planned this. I know, I know. It's so good. Uh, um, so, <laughs> Anna... Anna O, not me. (laughs) I was going to say, not the Anna that's doing this. There's lots of Annas in this story. Yes, there are. Uh, Anna O was actually the one that coined the term talking cure. She was the one that chose to end the hypnosis sessions, and she wanted to just focus on talking. She wanted to focus on talking about her traumas, which she called, I love this, she called it chimney sweeping. I love that. I think that's great because it's a, it's a great visual. It's just getting out the dust. And mm-hmm. she thought that was very therapeutic for her. I want to meet Anna O. She seems cool. I know. Yeah. But we've talked about how important it is in counseling to keep your patients, your clients, 
um, confidentiality. And we t- we talked about this. We were talking about this before we yeah. were recording. Yeah. That so this wonderful woman, Anna O, oh, whom we've all studied and know about and everything. And, and she, no spoilers for a, a potential future episode, but she was very influential in like the, the field of social work. And exactly. Stuff exactly. But wherever you read about her, they always have her real name like right there. In all caps, after Anna O, it's here's her real name. It's like, okay, much for confidentiality. Which I suppose now that we are talking about it it is because she later, under her real name, became a pretty influential figure. Right. So I I, I guess there is some utility in connecting the dots there. Yeah. But it still does seem kind of sketchy. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But um, I, I like the way you put that together, though. That that way she can take credit for what she did. Because yeah. I want to go back to what you said about him being sexist, which I agree. I mean, you cannot talk about Freud without feeling yeah. that as a woman. Yeah. But but you also have to measure the time and, that that he lived. Yeah. And, oh, you baby, know, we're getting there. Yeah, okay. Oh, woo! We, we, woo! Don't, woo! Don't, don't get ahead of me. <laughs> I'm just so excited. I just was so stoked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's going to play real nice on the ears. So sorry, everyone. We're going to not not stop making that noise. Sometimes we get excited. excited. That's our excited noise. Um, So a lot of of Freud's theories began to develop from this case. Even though it wasn't his, um, he was really involved in it because he and Brewer were kind of colleagues in taking Charcot's research further. So they were kind of doing this at the same time. Um, so Freud still was trying to look at everything from... Sorry. Wine? I, little, I had a little bit of a wine burp, and I, I, I swallowed it by... You're welcome, everyone. So Freud was still trying to look at it from a neuropsych- or neurophysiological perspective. God, that's a word. That's a big um, word. So neurophysiological. Mm-hmm. Because he was still practicing as a neurologist. That's what his private practice was. So he was looking at this physiologically from the brain. So he did dabble with hypnosis uh, in his practice. There were It was the Wild West in this practice. Like you, He started as a neurologist, but then he, I guess, started doing like psychology sessions. I don't know. Uh, so he just did whatever he wanted. Uh, the joys <laughs> of having a private practice. Um, but he, he did eventually abandon hypnosis. Actually, fairly early on, he abandoned the hypnosis sessions for just talk therapy. Oh, this is great. Oh, I don't have, my book's not near me. Um, so in the hypnosis, when he started, he, he started with hypnosis, eventually, um, and this is where the classic image of therapy comes in, where- With the couch. Yes, someone yeah. laying on this this luxurious couch. Those cool couches that have like and one the, side up. Yeah. yeah. It's like a, it's What's like that a called? Chaise. Yes, a chaise lounge. Uh, my, my husband would pronounce or correct the pronunciation of that if he were here. Um, it is incorrect. Um, oh, well. That's the way we say it. So, yeah. So, they would lay back on this couch and, and Freud they would, would lie. Sit. I don't know. They would lie on the couch. <laughs> they would recline There, on that's the even couch. better. That they would recline. Um, and he would sit in a chair, like, above their heads so they weren't looking at him while this was going on and part of that was because of the hypnosis like that's where it started Mm -hmm. but eventually when the hypnosis stopped he would do this forehead touching where (laughs) it sounds so crazy but I really want to do it to a client just to see what they would do (laughs) so when he would just do talking and they would be resistant to saying something he would touch their forehead and go I sense there is still something there 
And then <laughs> wow. it would make them talk about it, I guess. I so want to do that. I know. It sounds bonker. How? Okay. So like during my sessions, I don't sit that close to my clients. So I would have to that get up. Could, I have, have this to image of re- me getting up and going across <laughs> the room to them and putting my hand on their forehead and going, I sense there's something else. <laughs> <laughs> God, they would fire me on the but spot. But it's so different than the way we do counseling. Oh, yeah. I mean, the way that you and I face to face with a client and Absolutely. that rapport with the person. Yeah. That's very different. But And eventually, apparently, he also noticed this was weird because <laughs> he stopped and just started encouraging free talk. What he found was, and he was exclusively treating hysterics at this point, he was finding that in every single instance, like there was no one that this didn't happen with. And this, he was treating women and men at this point. Every single time there was an event of sexual abuse or incest or otherwise sexual trauma in, in the patient's past. Mm-hmm. So he was consistently finding that this was the root cause of this. Mm-hmm. He, he published a paper about it. He was calling uh, premature sexual experiences the... Um, he called it the kaput nylai of the issue. I know. Don't give me that face. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering kaput- if you like Googled this and said, how do you pronounce this? I did not. And I probably did it wrong, but it's like, I don't know. It's, it's Latin or Greek. Did you ask your husband? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, He's because, the one who knows how to Because it speak. comes from, I did look it up. It comes from the the source of the Nile is what it means. Oh. When people use the term, it was like saying... It's like looking for the source of the Nile. It's it's a useless endeavor trying to figure out the root cause of this issue. Oh. So he was saying, I have found the root cause of this issue, and it's premature sexual experiences in every single person. This was rejected. In my notes, I have, this was rejected because of dirty old men. <laughs> <laughs> the, so the root of this was that hysteria in the time was so common that to accept the theory that hysteria is caused by premature sexual experiences, unwanted sexual experiences, would be saying that this abuse is endemic. That right. it's happening so often to so many people. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to admit to that. Exactly. Especially the upper crust of the society did not want to admit to it. Uh-huh. Now, the sad reality was that that was exactly what was happening. And is still happening. I mean, still, sexual abuse is not talked about the way it should be. So what was truly probably happening was that the abuse was as common as Freud was positing. And people just didn't want to say it because that would mean we're all sexual abusers. And and I know several sexual abusers. And and the sad truth is they did. And they just didn't want to say it. So the people covering this up were either sexual abusers themselves or complicit in the sexual abuse because they were not doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. And it was such a society-wide problem. I would argue that it still is. But at the time, it was even more hush-hush. Um, people just did not want to admit to it. This caused Freud to recant his theory. He was so bummed out about the, uh, the rejection of this paper. I mean, this was, this was his moment. Mm-hmm. This was his, I have found the source of the Nile moment. And, you know, people said, nope, we don't want to admit to that, so we're not going to. So he recanted his theory. He instead went the total opposite way. He started saying that hysteria is still caused by sexual abuse, but the abuse is imagined abuse. This is where it really starts going downhill. It's really sad. It's really sad because 
everything I was reading was saying like in the beginning of this, when he was figuring this out in the process of coming up with this, this original theory, he was working with the patients, these women, and he was listening to them. And he was, one source I read called the paper that he wrote, this, this paper that I just mentioned, equivalent to like the sexual abuse theory that we have now. 150 years later Uh saying that's the amount of empathy and cooperation that he was showing to his clients and instead he totally recanted and went the opposite way and that's where all this huge sexism comes in because he wanted to and i've heard people call him like a sellout for this like because he just wanted to be accepted by those people that he wanted to be accepted and at this point he was a prestigious doctor i mean like Mm -hmm. not as prestigious as his colleagues but he had his own practice he had he Mm -hmm. wanted not to ruin his life and that's so hard you know, it's so hard to draw that line of where do you speak up? Okay, this is going so long. History lightning round. Um, so this is where he starts going into the theories that we kind of know today that you're going to go over very soon about psychosexual stages and everything that comes along with that. Eventually, he started psychoanalyzing himself. Uh-oh. I know. He, uh, that's where actually the interpretation of dreams come along in 1900. That's when he published that. In 1902, he was made a university professor, um, which is kind of something he had wanted his whole life. So again, there's that line of like, when do we start demonizing him for putting his own self-interests above those of his patients and those of what was going on in society? But he did started gaining prestige and gaining followers. I mean, like they were disciples. I mean, they followed this guy really, like really close. So um, in 1910, he started the International Psychoanalytic Association. um, And that's kind of where these neo-Freudians come in, where these were the people who were following him and would later change his theories for their own. They would adopt them and they would adapt them. Right. Um, So like Carl Jung was part of that association. Mm -hmm. Eventually, this uh, went less into clinical observation for Freud. um, And instead, he focused on applying his theories to history, art, literature. Eventually, once he had all these theories under his belt, once they were kind of gaining a name, then he focused on like propagating them um, Mm -hmm. and just getting them out. He eventually got cancer of the jaw, probably from smoking like 20 cigars a day. Mm -hmm. Like, dude loved cigars so he got cancer of the jaw how could you even smoke 20 cigars a day dude you have to chain smoke them i guess how do you do that with a cigar because you're not it awake takes a while to do a cigar right yeah and you're not awake i mean how okay if you sleep eight hours a day so oh are we doing cigar math right now yeah <laughs> we are <laughs> i'm tr- okay. i'm just okay. i can't even imagine smoking like can you sleep eight hours a day? I guess okay, if so it was sixteen hours, sixteen it, hours. So. so that's like more than a cigar an, an hour. hour. And those were, I mean, those were the chunky boy cigars, yeah, right? Those were big ones, yeah. So yeah, no wonder he got cancer of the jaw. See, he found his, a tumor in his own mouth. Um, he initially tried to keep it a secret. He had more than thirty operations. Um, just think about that. That's horrible. I know. On just I that know. part of his body, and that is eventually caused his death unfortunately mm-hmm. okay did i miss anything <laughs> i feel like i talked for 17 years i'm so sorry <laughs> um, it was a lot it was it was uh he died on september 23rd 1939 uh, and as i said a little earlier this was um he struggled with you know escaping nazism at some point in his life i mean he 
Um, there was a lot of the the racist elements. They burned all his story. books. They did. The Nazis burned his books. I thought that was significant. Section? Yeah. Well, it's not, but I saw it and I thought. <laughs> did you did you see that four of his sisters died in concentration camps? Really, I did not. After his death, four of his sisters. So that's significant in his life, I right. think. Yeah, I mean, pervasive through this story is anti-Semitism. Right. I mean, the reason Freud got into medicine was anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, we don't even know. There's no, I didn't find anything like, ooh, he might have wanted to be this and this. Because you grow up in a society where you know Jewish people can only do You're X told. or Y. Mm-hmm. Then you start thinking only X or Y is my option. That's exactly right. Okay, mom. Yes, Anna. What? What? Mom, what, mom what? is it? Um, <laughs> tell us about Freud's theories that I totally skipped over. Oh my goodness! Oh, but you kind of so you kind of alluded to them several times because the 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 whole idea of psychoanalysis. I think it's cool because the idea is we think of Freud as being, as I said before, like the the father of mm-hmm. of modern psychology or whatever. Oh, yeah. But even all of his theories were built on other people too mm-hmm. you know and, and you know you talked about that the talking cure was what led him into what he did with his right. couch and his free association which kind of replaced the hypnosis thing yeah from hypnosis free they association went, was mentioned as a as a theory in in brewer's work right I mean, that's where that came up so it kind of like they they kind of overlap there yeah from brewer to freud kind of yeah. overlap and so the free association thing um in freud's day was that you just he was sitting up there at their head where they couldn't see him mm-hmm. so he wasn't distracting them and he would just let the the client talk just let the patient just talk and talk and talk and um which that, there is some benefit there absolutely absolutely and his idea was that in just talking like that they would eventually kind of unearth some of those things that were in the subconscious and so that's, to me, when I think about Freud, I think about that's like the biggest thing. The whole idea of the conscious mind and the, the unconscious, the subconscious mind, that whole imagery of the iceberg thing. Mm-hmm. And he even has a, a famous quote about the iceberg. I have it here somewhere oh, in my man, papers. I find it. Wait. I, I would like to state for the record that uh, I am going totally on my computer notes and mom is sifting through. Old school. <laughs> paper. <laughs> Yeah. I did it Just originally on a computer, though. And then you printed it out. And then I printed it out because I need to hold it in my hands. <laughs> okay, here's a quote right here. It what? says, this is a direct quote from Freud. Are you okay. ready? I am ready. The mind is like an iceberg. It floats with one-seventh of its bulk above the water. One-seventh. One-seventh. That's very specific. Yes, which means how many sevenths are below the water? Uh. <laughs> Six. Good job, good Woo! job. You are right. So, I mean, if you think about that, if you image that, you know, and I've seen pictures of it, so I have it in my head, but the idea... <laughs> I've seen pictures. I, I've, I've seen know. Titanic. I know. I've seen it. How big an iceberg is under I've there. Seen it. I've seen it. So the, the bigger part of us is below the water. Right. The bigger part of us is is unconscious, subconscious. Which, quite frankly, I... I mean, I, I agree with that on some level, but I think one of the reasons people go to therapy is so they can get some of that up out of the water. Right, right. So, I mean, I think this is, and I think this is going to pop up in several of the theories that you're going to talk about. This is one of those things that 
is still part of psychology today. It's just used in many different contexts. It Mm -hmm. has a lot of different names. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) So Freud was sure that using this free association where where clients just talk, they just, Mm -hmm. and for him it was patience because he was being a doctor. So he felt that that free association would help with transference and projection, which are things that we'll talk about, and resistance too. So as he would have patients just talk, just talk about their problems, just talk about everything. And as Anna said, that's, you know, that's a, that's a big deal to just talk about your issues because just venting, that's kind of a whole separate kind of um, theory. Let me talk for a minute about, um, oh, it's, it's so much harder when you have paper notes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is. (laughs) It's so much more difficult to shuffle through the papers. Oh, and there's so much. There is so much. So how about if we start with just that, what we always think of when we think of um, Freud, we think about the id and the ego and the superego. And and you're you're better talking about this than me, but but basically that Freud believed, you know, obviously we're born with this this part of us that is our id, Mm that we are born with and it just is for all of our needs so we're hungry we're thirsty we're you know we got to go to the bathroom all the impulse stuff we got there and that's our base like monkey brain exactly exactly and so then what happens and he had in his main theory he had five stages psychosexual stages that he talked about and they were the first stage is oral stage and you think about a baby and just sucking and and eating and swallowing that's that makes perfect sense and the next stage is anal which kind of fits with that little bitty person trying to figure out how to potty train and figure out you know what's coming out (laughs) what's coming out that's coming out that stuff and then it goes the third stage is phallic um which we're going to kind of come back around because there's all kinds of penis stuff Lots of penis talk. Girl, with, tell me about it. <laughs> with Freud. He had lots of stuff to There's say about lots the of penis. penis. Yes. Yeah. And then the fourth stage is and latent. It, and again, going back to history stuff, this just seems like, and I'm not going to be, you're way better with the defense mechanism stuff. The thing where uh, you um, go totally the opposite way. Reaction, Reaction formation. formation. That's my is. favorite. Yeah. yeah. It's your favorite defense mechanism. <laughs> Not we, that I do it personally. Only counselors, I just mean. <laughs> only counselors have favorite defense mechanisms. I just um, like the name. Reaction. I don't know if you're going to talk about this. Are you going to talk about which? You, 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 gotta, go, you on, gotta, go on. Well, go on. Go, go, Reaction formation is when you are trying not to uh, express a desire that is unwanted or that is not acceptable. So you go totally the opposite way. This right. is where that theory of like a homophobic people are actually gay comes mm-hmm. in. They're, right. they're, they're forming a reaction that is so opposite to protect themselves from the unwanted um, thing that they want to express. So again, when we're talking about the way that he expressed this you know, these female patients just need someone to talk to them and they have experienced this abuse in their life. Um, you know, since he, he published this paper, really empathetic to the plight of women, and mm-hmm. then that got rejected so hard, I think he kind of formed this reaction of sexism as a, as a defense, uh, as a... Reaction okay, formation. Okay, well, yeah. if me being really, really nice to women is really bad, I'm just going to go the opposite way, and women are the devil. Wow, did you just think of that? Because that's, like, deep. I Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank 
cute. That Freud had reaction formation. Holy crap, I don't know that I've ever read that. But that kind of makes I sense. I should write it. Don't steal it. Oh my it. gosh. Don't, don't steal Copyright it, that. Cop- TM, 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 <laughs> TM. Freud had reaction formation. The article, the article that I'm going to write. The, the, by Anna K, not Anna, Anna O. K. <laughs> it's very close to O. I'll take that. Okay. All right. So back. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Together they make okay. <laughs> um, the fourth stage is latent and the last stage is genital. And that's when you're mature and everything's fitting where it's supposed to fit and the penises and the vaginas are all in the right place and <laughs> everything everything is good. <laughs> and that's supposed to go like for the rest of your life. Yeah. But what happens... Yeah, the psychosexual stages are weird because like they're like two years each but then genital lasts from when you're like forever. 13 to your death. Yeah, right. Yeah. But, but... But. But. When going but. the anal stage... <laughs> Okay, but <laughs> if you get fixated, another yes. good Freudian word. Yes, yes. If you would get fixated in one of those five stages, then even though you try to be um, living in your genital stage, <laughs> living your genital life, just living, just living, just genitally. living the genital life, you would be fixated in one of the prior phases, mm-hmm. and that that makes you have conflict. It makes you because. What Freud believed was that in each one of those stages, and this kind of replays in future, when in future casts, when we talk about other stages of development, it kind of fits in all the stages of development, Mm -hmm. that every stage of development, you have something you have to like work through. Right, yeah. You got to conquer something. There's a lot of, and this plays in with uh, neo-Freudians that I kind of mentioned before, that the the stage theory is very important to a lot of developmental psychologists. A lot of developmental psychologists will talk about stages that you have to complete. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we think of Freud's as weird because they are sexually based. Mm -hmm. But that stage theory and that getting stuck on a stage is something that did carry over from him. Right. I mean, he was the pioneer of a stage theory. So so that is something that we kind of have to look back and say that that was Freud's. Right, right. We went away from the weird sex stuff, but we stayed with the stages. <laughs> There's a lot of Freud stuff, as you put it, that that plays itself out in a lot of different theories. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a psychology thing, that every theory that you look at, you can look at and go, well, that kind of looks like that theory, and that kind of looks right. like that theory. I had, I don't know if I've ever told you this, I had a teacher in my undergrad that could trace his so like okay you know how psychology professors are weird no offense psychology <laughs> don't we, at me we I'm love sticking you. by that um <laughs> that was weird. anna that said there that. was me it was all me anna anna said it uh so i had one who was particularly weird huh? who could trace his like academic lineage back to freud that means he knew who his teacher's teacher was and who he knew his teacher's teacher's teacher was. Oh my god! And he could trace it back to Freud. We kind of do that in martial arts. That's, That's kind of a martial arts thing. Who? Okay. Like you trace back, you know, your sensei to the one before. Uh, never mind. But no, I think that matters because it's just this, this tree. I mean, uh-huh. it starts from this one theory and it just branches right. out. So when we see all these echoes of Freud stuff, it's because... He was one of the pioneers. Right. As much as people don't like him. He's a forefather. Yeah. Of all of us. Yeah. All right. 
Sorry, I got to subtract. <laughs> what, what, what was I saying? Uh, oh, let's go back to, okay, um, let's go back to just the idea of getting stuck in a stage and sure. all that. Yes. And some of the conflict that's within each stage, which takes us to an idea that we hear a lot about when we hear about Freud. We hear about the Oedipus complex. Oh, baby. Yeah. Oh, baby. That's like the top ten. Hey, yo, top hey, yo. ten. <laughs> Oedipus. <laughs> I don't know. Does this get worse the more wide you have? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely okay. it does. All right. I'm, I'm so glad. I get more serious and she gets more like this. So, okay. She's our designated primary host. <laughs> don't worry. I'll, I'll take us home. I'll finish it out. Okay. So the Oedipus, we all know this stuff. Kind of. That, we well, all know stuff about no, this No, stuff. I think you're right. I think this is one of those things that even, like I said before, like even if you're not in psychology, you know Freud. It's like a cultural thing. It's very much mm-hmm. in the cultural osmosis. Right. So so we do have this during the Oedipus complex, which is basically, I'm going to try to put this in few words as I can, that um, it, it goes back to Greek <laughs> mythology, Greek play. Sure, sure. De blah, blah, blah. Yeah, about yeah. the guy who... <laughs> <laughs> Not my strong point. The guy. The Oedipus. guy who didn't know who his parents were, yes. basically. And he grows up to... Which is even sort of a bastardization of the Greek myth. Like, the Greek myth, he did not know that's what was happening. Right. It was so, very, it was, it was a very, it was wacky guy. Greek hijinks. It right. was a wacky Greek hijinks sitcom. And he didn't know it was his mom and he ended up. Yeah, because he killed his dad. Yeah, but he was, he was removed from the family. He had he a hot mom. It was his family. He had a hot, so. he had a MILF. Oedipus had a MILF. This, <laughs> I regret every word of that sentence. I hate but it. But that's the whole, yeah, that's where he gets the, the name of Oedipus yes. complex. So, but in theory. Because he was proficient in Greek. Yes. He could speak Greek. The idea is that all little boys are basically at some point in their development in love sexually. Yes. With their mother. And therefore, you know, they, they, come into conflict with their fathers because they're in competition with their father for their mother's affection. Um, Freud also acknowledged that it would happen with a girl as well, although he didn't name it. He didn't name Electra? Young named it. (gasps) Did I just teach you something? You did. I learned a thing. (laughs) You tricked me into learning something. (laughs) That's what all good mommies do. Mommies do that. Mommies and teachers and I am both. Well... Again, I believe that's because Freud was like, "Oh, women are the devil, and I'm not going to deal with it." Right. So but his his more his more progressive neo Freudians were right. They jumped on giving. But that's it a interesting. Name. So did uh, uh, we'll probably do an episode of Young at some point. But like, did Young believe that? Yes. I mean, he was a student of Freud. Yes. He was a, he was one at of that the point, he did. In, that's why he named the association. it. Association. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. Yes. But he just, and he felt like it was so significant that he should actually name it. And this is so. one of those times when it's Freud is so pervasive in not only psychology, but culture. I mean, that's one of the reasons that we think of Anna O oh as Freud's. I mean, for a long time, I thought Anna O oh was Freud's patient. I did too. Yeah. And she wasn't. She was Brewer's. Because we don't ever hear about Brewer. No, we hear about Freud right. and we hear about Anna O oh, and mm-hmm. we. Uh, learn about how he got his theories from that case Mm -hmm. so we just kind of assume oh yeah she was she was his patient but he she wasn't so i think so many things are kind of thrown in the freud category right get a little confused and he gets he yeah he gets credit for things that maybe weren't right right yeah so the idea is that i mean that all happens during the phallic stage that whole 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me kind of go back to those five. Remember the five stages, oral, anal, phallic, latent, genital. During the first two, oral and anal, that's when your ego develops. So you're a baby. You just have id. You just have, give me what I need. Give me what that's I like, need. That's like birth to like three, right? Right, right. So then you're, so you're developing that as you develop to the point where you're like potty trainished, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. area, you start to develop your, your ego is now developing, okay. which kind of, kind of gives you that. The okay, ego is who you are, like right. who you actually are. Right. And it's, it's kind of more like, okay, so it's not so acceptable to just grab whatever you want and eat whatever you want. That crosses over into super yes, ego. Yes, that's what I was going to say. But super ego like super starts ego. to develop during the phallic stage. Did you already go over all these? No. Okay. I mean, not. I mean, I kind of went in and out. You went. You talked about id. Right. Okay. And I just said id, and then the ego develops during the oral anal. Okay. Okay. And then and around ego, the. This is something that, like, in my schooling, people were very confused about. They very often got ego. Confused and, with super ego. Uh, yeah, and I still do yeah. sometimes. Because super ego is is that all of that, the laws, the rules, the you should. Right. And you shouldn't. The society, the social mores, right. all that So stuff. the ego is what balances the two. Right. Because the it is like, I want it now, give it to me, and, and this is what I want. The and way I super remember ego. it is it's called super ego because it like tamps down the ego. Mm. Like oh, this part of you is not socially acceptable so you can't show it or you have to follow this rule even though it's right. maybe not what you would do on your own. Right. So it like superimposes over the ego. Right. So this kind of stuff, oh man, we could talk about in so many I know, we could have like a whole tasks. episode on ego, superego. Right, right. Because, because that, so, so the superego starts to develop during the phallic stage. Oh, there's so much in the phallic stage. Oh my goodness. Because we get that. Guys, we get, there's so much phallic. don't have time. Guys, there's so much phallic. <laughs> so the whole Oedipus and Electra, which yeah. in case we didn't clarify that, the Electra is, is what women are attracted to. Their little fathers. girls are attracted to their fathers. And so there's a whole thing, which we could do a whole thing a whole show whatever y'all call a show we bit off too much (laughs) we bit off more than we could chew at this one right but we just want you to kind of just keep that in your mind that that's all freud that's all freud Mm -hmm. so um we during that that same time oh my goodness we could also throw in there the whole castration anxiety oh jesus yeah yeah because that comes in envy plays into here too and that's the so the castration anxiety is what the boys feel right which is that they're afraid when they start to realize they're that, afraid to lose their penis right they start to look around literally physically look yeah, around yeah, yeah, and yeah. see this that is not, not everybody metaphor. has this right. is freud thought little boys were afraid of losing their penises right right yeah because they would see oh my goodness that little girl doesn't have a penis someone must have cut it off yeah so then they become afraid and that's that's part of and then that that morphs into the whole idea of as an adult male feeling like you're effeminate or feeling like you're being emasculated right or someone's emasculating you yes and the fear of being emasculated which i mean is still a pervasive thing i mean there is still that toxic masculinity thing in our culture of right. of of men think it's not okay to feel emasculated right i so so again there's this thing of like yeah freud was this like cocaine addict he had really bad ideas and he was sexist and but yet there is still kind of that there may have been a grain of truth to he this. had something he, he had, had something. something yeah and he was flying by the seat of his pants because he was kind of a pioneer mm-hmm. exactly 
So the opposite of castration anxiety is penis envy. Yes. So the penis, the penis envy, envy is, is that, girls. right, that women women look at boys and go, oh, man, I wish I had one of those so I could pee outside. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason, primary reason for all you to... You don't have to find a bathroom. You could just go stand behind a tree. I mean, yeah. And that's... No, I, like, and I think this is, I don't know, again, if we were talking about this before we started. This is one of those times where society plays in and context plays in. I do believe that women have, I would call it envy of privilege. Like, instead of penis envy, it's privilege envy. And that privilege comes with being a man. The the way Freud got it wrong was that he did think it was physical. Girls are envious of boys' physical genitals. And that's not what it is. Like, again, there's this kind of grain of truth, but it's it's metaphorical. It's symbolic. Mm-hmm. It's it's not necessarily the physical genital. That's hard to say, isn't physical it? Physical genital. <laughs> it sounds say like three the start of a fast. song. <laughs> physical genital. <laughs> God, I hope that's not how I sound. I'm so sorry. So in each of these five stages, there's a conflict that you got to work through and all this stuff about penis envy and castration anxiety and the Oedipus and the Electra, all that stuff is conflict that has to be in a healthy way resolved in order for you to move forward and be mentally healthy as an adult. Right. Um, And so that's, that's, and, and again, that replays over and over again in lots of theories Mm -hmm. that each stage has something you got to work through to work to the next stage and if you don't conquer that if you don't you know deal with that that right you get stuck so that's that's kind of um those kind of things in a nutshell in a nutshell (laughs) oh yeah you skimmed that was a skimming there's so much to talk about oh there's so much but i really do want to talk for a minute about the defense mechanisms because to me this is my favorite thing because i do you know anna you were saying that a lot of the Freud stuff, there's a grain of truth or there's, you know, stuff we've built on. To me, the defense mechanisms that Freud talked about, like, are spot on. Oh, yeah. They're spot like, on. Like, not even like, ooh, maybe they're kind of no, spot on, but no, you have to adjust it. No, no. I think they are very yeah. applicable. And so, so what are what are some of those defense mechanisms? Okay, and so these are things that even if you're not, like, a Freudian theorist, um, as a counselor, you, you look at these things. You deal with these things no matter what your theory and, is. And not even as a counselor. I mean, I think these are kind of, again, part of that cultural thing. I absolutely. Mean, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So there's there's the real simple ones like denial, that, that something's going on and you don't want to admit it. So you, you're you an alcoholic, I say as Anna pours her wine. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was not an accusation. Yeah. Um, you're an alcoholic, but you just flat out deny that you're an alcoholic. Okay, so denial is, is probably the most simple. One we hear a lot with Freud is repression and suppression. So repression is when we purposefully push something away. We, we say, I cannot handle that. I don't want to think about that. And that can be from huge things like sexual abuse yes. to little things like, I don't want to admit that I'm five pounds overweight. Right. So we, we just don't even look at the scale. And, and repression is one of the things that he took from Brewer's research. Right. It's it's a holdover. Repression was really what Brewer was working on, and I think Freud just kind of lumped it into his defense mechanisms and put a name to it and, exactly. and made it more more publicly applicable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, Brewer was, that's what he was doing when he was doing the hypnosis, doing the memory work, which we could have an entire episode about memory. We should be writing these um, things down. I, Why are we writing these things? 
Uh, because I'll listen to this seven times while I'm editing it. Okay, then write it down. Okay, I'll write it down the sixth time. Make a list. I like lists. (laughs) You love lists. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's one of those things that was kind of the entire idea of what Brewer was working on. It's just that Freud made it public. Right. Yeah. Right. And and Freud was, uh, I mean, that's a big, huge thing that, that the idea of what we have repressed and also significantly what we've suppressed, which means that we we unconsciously pushed it down. It was mm-hmm. so bad that it yes. made us push it away without even thinking okay, about pushing so it away. So that could be sexual repress abuse. Repress is a conscious motion. Right. And suppress suppressed is, is unconscious. Exactly. Something we don't know we're doing. Right. And those two things were things that um, Freud um, would say that's, that's the cause of anxiety and depression, that we have those things in our subconscious mm-hmm. and that we we're unconscious about it. We don't know it's there anymore because either we've pushed it so far down that we've forgotten it or we suppressed it. We didn't even know we were pushing it down right. and it's there and it's causing that conflict. And so, um, through, through talk therapy, through, you know, scooping it, it out, out. Yeah. We can then pull those things out and it doesn't right. cause us further right. disruption. So, um, there are also wonderful here. Let me just zip them. Projection, which we talk about in society all oh, the time. Yeah. Oh, you're projecting you're on projecting, me. Yeah. yeah, don't project your stuff on me. Yeah. You know, you know. We all talk about that. Mm-hmm. And my favorite, which was mentioned earlier, reaction, reaction. formation. Mm-hmm. When you really believe something, but you don't, you know that yeah. it's unacceptable to believe that, so you go the opposite. So. Guys, I I knew it was her favorite because she is told me several times explicitly throughout my life like oh that's my favorite defense mechanism <laughs> I learned that in, in undergrad I still remember our professor <laughs> yeah, talking the only thing yeah. you remember about undergrad I do remember that I remember him talking about so like the guy who pickets the pornography store actually looks at pornography mm-hmm, every night mm-hmm. that's that's reaction formation right so we got some of that. Displacement <laughs> is is kind of like almost like the projection That's thing a, that yeah, we're it seems yeah like projection. yeah we're so like I'm really really angry at my students at school, but I come home and I get angry with my husband. Right. So instead of projecting anger that you have at yourself or feelings you have at yourself, it's feelings that you have about other people that you're putting it on kind of safer targets. Right. Exactly. It's like kicking the cat when you're mad. That's exactly right. Okay. Identification. That's a kind of a, I think that one's kind of confusing. I don't know much about that one. Trying to become like someone else to deal with your own anxiety. Oh, okay. So you identify so strongly, like you identify so strongly with your mom. I do. I become like you to get on my own problems. (laughs) That's helped every time. It's actually kind of the reverse in our relationship. You you identify, (laughs) you're identifying strongly with me and I'm identifying strongly with you and it's this mess. It's always this circle. It's a mess. Um, compensation is, is one of my favorites oh, too. Yeah, yeah. Like the guy who buys the Corvette because oh, you sure, know, sure. he doesn't have yeah. other or, things. Or whenever I hear someone drive by with a really loud, like, <gasps> it's like, yeah. Ooh, they have a huge penis. What are they compensating what are for? They? And that's again, like so many, especially the, the defense mechanisms, I think more than any other of Freud's theories are very part of the cultural lexicon part of the the cultural dictionary of, of things that we like projection compensation i mean like denial like again it's not like he invented the concept of denial but he popularized it mm-hmm. he, he mm-hmm. made it into a psychology thing so right. i think these are things that when people talk about not liking freud not liking his theories they don't think about these things because they are pretty applicable exactly what came to my mind about compensation is like sometimes i think that we are n- 
we're insecure about our own intelligence. And so we tend to like boast about, you know, like we tend to like blah, 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 blah. Sure. Be more outspoken or something. I was trying yeah. to think of yeah, something yeah, yeah. we compensate for. We compensate about things we're insecure. Or okay. yeah. we don't feel like, you know, like we're worried that we're not as good of a mom as we should be. So then That's we're like what I, all I was about thinking, the mom. I was specifically for women. I think women have this pressure to be really good at their families and careers and right. everything else right. because we're compensating for being told that we can't do those things right. at the same time. I think that's true. And and men can just buy cars. <laughs> that seems unfair. That's not girls true. Men, can buy cars men, too. I, girls can buy cars. Girls and men. can buy I know motorcycles. You have a lot of things that you compensate for, and so do women. And we're all terrible. We all have stuff. We all have stuff. That's our theme. Mom we brought up motorcycles, stuff. and I'm looking in her eyes, and I I think she wants me to mention that she rides a motorcycle. I think. <laughs> am I compensating? You're what compensating am I <laughs> for thinking? Thinking that I'm you're not uncool. cool enough. That's it. And I'm I'm telling our <laughs> listeners right now that my mom is a third degree black belt who rides motorcycles and she's very cool. But I'm also a mom. But you're also a mom. I'm an old mom. You can be even, both because you're like grown up. Also, yeah. Yeah. You're also doing a podcast with me, so <laughs> jokes on that, you. That actually kind of leads right into the last defense mechanism on my list, okay. which is sublimation. We planned that. We did. <laughs> sublimation. Ah, uh, this is the one I always forget with it. Turning socially unacceptable urges into socially acceptable behavior. So wait a minute. How is this different? I know you've explained it. How is it different than reaction formation? Well, sublimation is like, okay, like I really want to beat people up, but I don't actually do it. Instead, I take martial arts and, and spar with so them. So you and, do the same type of thing, but reaction formation is a different opposite. type of thing? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. They're very similar. That's a good way to look very at it. Similar. Yeah. The idea, though, is that a defense mechanism is a way of helping ourselves to not have to actually face the the issues. Right. And, and, and to deal with the anxiety of not right. facing the conflict. Right. So we, and, and there are a million more because oh, we, yeah. we oh, have God. individual defense mechanisms that, yeah. that we, that can't fit neatly. Right. That we don't name because it's just ours. Right. So, so how do we like pull this all around to the end? I mean, I wanted to talk about <laughs> some of, <laughs> that's a good noise for the mic. Uh, <laughs> bad, bad. Bring it around. Bad. Bring it around, baby. I wanted to talk about some of the, I mean, we've kind of throughout talked about the implications of Freud's work and how there are parts that we do recognize as a little bit weird and there are parts that we recognize as, ah, actually, there might be some application of this where, I mean, I don't, like, there's, it's not like I sit in session and say, like, ooh, you are exhibiting repression. Like, but that's what a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of denial and there's, I mean, there's a lot of like these defense mechanisms that are prevalent and maybe we don't put a name to them, but that's like Freud hit on something. Right. And we make, we make jokes about, you know, the big joke is like, okay, well, why do you hate your mother? I mean, we, we make jokes about that, but in honesty, very often what has happened in our childhood is significant well, sure. in what's happening to us right Absolutely. now. So the people we are is dependent on how we were raised and right. what environment we were raised around. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, like it's that nature versus nurture thing. Like, yeah, he went to a weird place with it. And I don't want to sit here and say, oh, his intentions were good because I don't know <laughs> that. You don't know him. I don't know him. He could have been a real scoundrel. Yeah. Again, when I talk about like the history stuff, it's sad. What I feel in my gut is this is a guy who 
wanted to get to the truth of something and really started by listening to like especially the women like especially when we talk about the controversy we talk about feminist controversy of Freud which is valid I mean valid like he had some weird stuff about (laughs) gender but again it you have to look at it in context. Exactly. You to, yeah, you have to you say like... You have to like, look at it the time. And- exactly. There was the time. There was a lot of pressure. And again, this goes back to the thing that we mentioned earlier about where's the line of where do you put your own self-interests aside so you can use your prestige or whatever name you have to to say something for marginalized people, which at the time, and to some extent still, women are. Women are marginalized people. So especially then for Freud to take a stand and say, these people are being abused and that's what's the cause of hysteria. I mean, it's sad that he had to recant that. It's sad that he thought he had to choose between helping people who he thought needed help and not ruining his career. That's a shitty choice to make. Mm -hmm. It's a terrible place to be. Mm Mm-hmm. So that I think is one of the main criticisms we get about Freud is the feminism criticism. Ooh, that's a hard thing to say too. <laughs> Femi- feminist criticism. criticism. Again, like feminism has a good point that where his theories ended up is really reductive to women and their experiences and their feelings. Wait a second though. Okay, you can, how do I want to say this? You can be, you can not be a sexist, but be acting as a sexist. Okay, yeah, So I perhaps he wasn't because he started out by trying to be empathetic toward women. That's really At true. least it's possible. And again, this is where we have to go back to looking at context, looking at society. Looking and we, at, don't, we don't know him, so we can't talk to him in person right now. That's true. So We shouldn't talk too much shit about him because he's not here. He's not here to defend <laughs> he's himself. He's not here. Um... <laughs> And again, this is when we're talking about ego, superego. Superego is that thing. This is interesting. So he came up with the superego, ego idea. Superego is society's mores are more important than who you are. Which is what happened to him. Which is exactly what happened to him. (gasps) Did we just solve Freud? (laughs) Wow. We did it. We did it. He had reaction formation and... And this. And this is like, yeah, he was totally telling us what his life was. Yeah. The whole the whole thing could be boiled down to what is in our unconscious, our subconscious, is what rules us. It's right. What, it's who we are. Right. Which for Freud was, I had this huge thing that was a huge revelation and it got rejected. Right. It got rejected. And society's and was, not ready to accept yes. it. So I've got to change it to be something I that, have to change it to be socially mm, acceptable. Right. We solved it. We solved Freud. But, but yet he was still way out there, Anna. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Because, I mean, oh, it was God. all about penis, sex, yes. sex, penis. And that's the thing. Uh, he went so far. And I, I don't think he was, like, faking. Like, I don't think he was just saying things to to say things. Mm-hmm. I. He truly believed, I I think, he truly believed in the Oedipus complex and the penis envy and all this other stuff that was just, I mean, objectively looking at it, it's bonkers. This goes into LGBT criticisms of him that, well, he thought homoerotic urges were totally fine, like for men, 
And for women, he thought they were a neuroses to be cured. So he had a the fiance that I talked about that he sent cocaine to. Her name was Martha. He eventually married her and had, uh, oh God, I want to say either six or eight children. I didn't have it in my notes. He had several children. Uh, the one he was closest to was Anna. Anna. <laughs> Anna. So she is actually, Anna Freud is actually a huge figure in psychology herself just by her own merits. I'm not going to see too much because I do. Anna, Anna Freud's we'll have super to cool. Do a, another we might do an episode. Absolutely. Anna. She also went into psychology. Obviously, she had a lot to do with the field. She was also a lesbian. She was a lesbian. She was with her partner for like, I want to say 10 or 12 years. Um, so she wasn't, it wasn't just like, oh, it's a face, dad. Like she was a lesbian. That was her sexual orientation. And this is bonkers i can't believe i'm talking about this at the the end of the episode i was gonna say how does this wrap up oh my god this doesn't maybe it leads us into another episode it might it's a cliffhanger he took her into psychotherapy he analyzed he psychoanalyzed her his own daughter yeah yes he he very wrong her on as a client because he believed that lesbian urges were not okay but homoerotic urges which he did have toward a colleague of his totally okay if guys have homoerotic urges toward other 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 guys but but lesbian urges no i have so much that i want to say (laughs) i know (laughs) lots to unpack what that's a whole nother episode i know except that you know we can go back to those whole the stages and the conflict that would be kind of a slap in his face because if he believed in the Oedipus complex and the female side of that would be the Electra, that she is attracted to her father, it's him. Okay, so how do we see? We're still not ending. Oh, I'm still. How do I we mean, end? Still, you still got of, stuff to talk about. I think. I think one of the ways I would want to end it is to say that with every theorist, there's going to be things we like and things we don't like. Yeah, I mean, even still, I mean, there's modern theorists. There's, Absolutely, there's people who come up with with theories now who looking at it you're like well this resonates but this is crazy and the bottom line is in my opinion in psychology and counseling the whole therapy shtick you find what for your word resonates with you what works for you yeah because we're all different we we're all made differently so we have to find what works for us and what helps us on our own journey to balance all our stuff as a client and a counselor, this is speaking mainly to people who go to counseling. If you are with a counselor, therapist, whatever you want to call them, and they don't resonate with you, it's really, and I say this to my clients like flat out like in our first session, if we're not clicking. Find somebody else. Yeah. Like you got to find what works for you. And right. every counselor has a different way of looking at the world, a, a different way of dealing with clients. Like it's really important to to find that person that does resonate with you. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just I have an affinity to Freud. I like Freud. I, I know it's weird. I just do. I mean, you know, you've bought me several Freud things. <laughs> I have I have a mug yeah. that says like Freudian slips when you say one thing but mean your mother. Uh, <laughs> I have like little, I have little post-it notes on my desk that say like Freudian slips. I, I just, there's, there's so much. Again, it's, it's partially because Freud is like one of the main 
psychology figures that everyone knows. Right. I think people would be hard-pressed to know names of other psychologists. I think it would take them a while to think of other people in the field. Even like Carl Jung, who is a... I mean, he was a neo-Freudian. He studied under Freud. He has a lot of ideas that are still used in popular culture, in, you know, literature and art and stuff like that. He, he permeates culture, but I think people would be hard-pressed to know his name. I think Freud doesn't have that problem. Freud has name recognition. Right. He's got a brand. He's got <laughs> brand recognition out the wazoo. And so that's one of the reasons that we chose to to call what we're doing. It's true. Yeah. yeah, like Freudian slips. I mean, that was a legitimate theory that he had that like when you say one thing, you mean something else. That's part of the defense mechanism. It's part of the repression. It's part right. of everything. It, like we use it as a joke, but it was a legitimate part of his theory. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason that that we use that is because something does resonate. Right. Something does hit. Like the reason something becomes a cliche is because it actually. There's a grain of truth. Exactly. Yeah. We all know that that kind of is true sometimes. Right. That's why it becomes a cliche. So right. so all of those things that we say about Freud that have become cliches, they have a grain of truth. And mm-hmm. and so we kind of put that as, as our roots, as our core of this podcast that we're going to do together. I don't know. Like a lot of the criticism I've seen of him is that he had a really good publicity team. Yeah, I, I, I read some things too that he lied about. Um, like he changed in his notes that someone would sexually abuse someone, he would change it to their father to make it better right. fit his theory. Yeah. That, yeah, that there was some So I think there was definitely, even before the, you know, what we're saying is sad, I think there was like... He was so desperate. Exactly. He to, was driven right. by trying to make a name, trying to right. be important, trying to make people understand his genius, like you said. Everybody needs to be loved, Anna. Everybody needs to be loved. <laughs> And everybody needs to be loved. It's just sad. Like, I mean, I yes, we're not going to sit here and say he didn't have his problems. He absolutely had his problems. He Are you was, drinking sad wine? I might be. Is it? <laughs> that sounds sad. Yeah, it does. But but you also have to look at it is sad. But you also have to look at that his theories have withstood the mm-hmm. test of time. Mm-hmm. So in hindsight, again, if he can like look down on what's happening now, he can still kind of be is like he rolling oh. in his grave. <laughs> no, he can be like, "Hey, that's mine." Every that- every time someone calls their partner daddy. <laughs> <laughs> that's totally not where Freud I would go rolls with that. over in his grave. <laughs> that is so not where I would go with that. Okay, sure. But yeah, <laughs> look, like I think that's a mix of having a publicity uh-huh. Having bad publicity, I think, is a wealth of that, and kind of having a grain of truth to what he's saying. I don't think, even though he was a pioneer, even though he did like kind of start the field of psychology. I mean, like, I don't want to say that it was it was there before, but he was the one that we all think about when when we think about psychology and what started it. That's really true. Like he again, he's the name. He's they call the name him the father know. of psychology. The yeah. honest to God, that's like his title. Yeah, so. and he was the one that had like a specific theory. I mean, even if there were people in the psychology field, he and Brewer were the ones who started the the talking cure. So even if there were people in the field before him and before Brewer, 
it's not like they were doing the same thing. Right. It's not like they were doing what we think of as psychology. So, so I think it's, it's worth it to look at the context and look at, you know, where he was coming from. So should we like give him a round of applause? Let's do that. Uh, let's right do now, it. let's a do sta- it. A standing Anna O. Standing Anna O. That's so bad. Not okay. entirely sure how we should stop this. We put closure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you are, you can find us on um, basically any social media site uh, by the name Freudian Sips Pod. You can go to FreudianZipsPod.com. We will try to keep it very updated with our latest episode, um, things that we're doing, things that we're planning to do. If you really like what we're doing and you want to support us and make it easier for us to do this, you can support us on Patreon.com. We are FreudianZipsPod. So if you want to throw us a few dollars per month, that would be super great. If you just want to follow us, if you want to tweet at us about things we got wrong or things we got right, yeah, be nice. Please be nice. Mom, just give me, mom, just give me a look. Please. Don't tell me what I did wrong. Please it be, will hurt my speedies. Please be nice. If you, if you give us a review, be positive about it, even if we can do better. But ideas about what you'd like to hear about. Yes, Because we absolutely. can do some research and do some talking absolutely. about it. Our idea is to do this every week. So if you like what we're doing and you would like to hear more, uh, please follow us. Please like us. Please talk to us. Uh, we would love to hear from you. I think I just want to say. Oh. Are you ready? I'm super ready. This is kind of a mom thing. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> That we all have something. We all have something. We all have something. It's, and it's all good because yeah. we're just in this journey together and, you know, we we process this stuff together. We talk about what, you know, helps us, what hurts us. And it's just about being together. Getting through it. Yeah. Being together on the journey. Yeah. How's that? It's Ram Dass for you. That's very Ram Dass. A little Dass. bit of Ram Dass. <laughs> a little bit of psychology name. But that's the thing. Like, I think when I when we made this... I didn't expect it to be just like psychology professionals. I I want this to get to people who may be struggling with stuff. Yeah. Psychology is not just people who are psychologists. Right. Psychology is everybody. It's everybody. Everything. It's all of us. Yeah. Right. It's who we are. It's everything. And right. and I, I think that if you are struggling with something, like we said in our intro, please get Please get help. Please talk to someone. Because there's good people out there who want to help you. So get some help. Absolutely. Other than that, thank you. And we will see you next time. Next time. Next time. (laughs) 